prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Winston Duke, from Black Panther to Nine Days, plus Stephen Lang on Don't Breathe 2. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. We've got another twofer this week for you guys, an embarrassment of riches, just too many damn good guests out there. It's hard for me to say no sometimes. So yes, a little bit later on in the podcast, I have a brief catch up with our old buddy, Mr. Stephen Lang. He, have, of course, has been on Happy, Sad, Confused before, and I go way back with Stephen, all the way back to Avatar some gosh, like 12 years ago, I probably met him, did a ton for him uh, with him then, and uh, and now he's back. Not with Avatar 2 quite yet, though we're about a year away from the publicity train on that one, but with Don't Breathe 2, uh, which is the sequel, as you might guess from the title, to Don't Breathe. Not Don't Breathe 1, it was just Don't Breathe at the time. It would be weird to call something Don't Breathe 1, unless it's some kind of meta commentary on sequels and franchises. Uh, this is kind of the thriller horror franchise. It was uh, directed, the first one was directed by Fede Alvarez. Uh, this one is directed by, I believe one of the co-writers of the first one and kind of like a, a collaborator and protege of Fede's. Um, and it's great to see Steven back at it, doing his thing as the blind man uh, in an intense, dark thriller. Anyway, that conversation's a little bit later on and yes, we dive into Avatar talk, so if you want a little bit of dirt on the Avatar sequels to come, stick around for Stephen Lang. First up, though, is a longer conversation, a real heart-to-heart -heart with an actor I have a lot of uh, respect for, Mr. Winston Duke, uh, first-time guest on Happy, Sad, Confused, so that's really cool. Winston, of course, primarily known for his role uh, in Black Panther and the Avengers films, but also you saw him in Jordan Peele's Us, um, and he is now mixing it up with a much different kind of a movie. He's front and center in the film Nine Days, which uh, kind of divided audiences way back when at Sundance, the last like in-person Sundance I was at a year and a half ago, and is now finally out and available to check out. It's a really cool ensemble cast. It includes Winston and Zossie Beats and Tony Hale um, and Benedict Wong, uh, Bill Skarsgård. Anyway, it's, a, it's also a, a very fascinating, real high concept kind of drama. Um, suffice it to say, and this is a hard one to summarize, Winston plays a person who is kind of judging potential souls who are vying to be birthed into the universe, to become full-fledged human beings and be born. Yeah, it sounds out there. It is out there, but it's shot in a very kind of minimalistic way. Um, and it's a it's a thoughtful it's 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 a think piece, right? It's a it's a film that will make you question things and make you argue and discuss afterwards. And you guys know from my conversations in the past, I was like a big swing, and this one certainly is a big swing. So it's cool to see Mr. Winston Duke at the center of it all. And of course, we talk a lot about just generally his career because this was a first kind of long conversation I've had with him about his his life and work. We talk about how he got into the Black Panther franchise. That was his first major role, came out of Yale School of Drama, contemporary and friends of Lupita Nyong'o um, and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, um, and, and now kind of really hitting it big with a, a wide array of really interesting performances. And he's it should be noted he's currently shooting the new Black Panther movie, which for obvious reasons is a tough one without 
uh, the beloved Chadwick Boseman gone way, way too soon. So we talk, touch on that a bit too, as, as respectfully as possible. And also touch on his comfort movie, which is a big surprise of a comfort movie. A comfort movie I was not expecting anybody to say, and certainly not Winston Duke. I mean, like it just doesn't feel like the kind of movie that, that anybody, uh, let alone Winston, would choose. So um, that was a fun, nice surprise. Uh, stay tuned for that pick. Anyway, beyond Stephen Lang, beyond Winston Duke, some other things to mention. I do want to mention um, some cool Free Guy-related stuff coming up on MTV and Comedy Central. Free Guy, of course, is the big new Ryan Reynolds movie directed by Sean Levy. It stars Taika Waititi, uh, Joe Keery, and Jodie Comer. Got a chance to talk to Ryan Reynolds for MTV. That conversation is coming up very soon. I'll, I'll put it out there on the social media. Look forward to that. And I know some of you guys really dig, I certainly do, Jodie Comer, the delightful Jodie Comer. I really loved having her on the podcast probably a couple years back already. Had a nice, long, fun chat with her for Comedy Central. Some really funny uh, content coming your way with Jodie that will not disappoint. So again, just stay tuned. I'll put it out on all the Joshua Horowitz Instagrams and the Twitters and the, the Patreon, etc. Just stay tuned. Um, but I wanted to tease that to come. Speaking of Patreon, we have a really exciting new game night coming soon with some guests that are new, a guest that is old. You'll be pleased. That's it. That's all the tease you get on that front. But again, patreon.com slash happy sad confused if you want to check out video versions of the podcast and the game night episodes, among other special treats. Okay, that's a, that's a longer preamble than I was expecting, but sometimes you just got to get through the business before you get to the main event. As I said, one more tease. Later on in the show, stick around after Winston for my conversation with Stephen Lang for All Things Don't Breathe 2 and Avatar, etc. But first up, the main event, the man of the hour, the guy that I'm just getting to know and I'm really looking forward to having a lot of conversations with him in the future because we really had a great chat this time around. Uh, Mr. Winston Duke. Please enjoy. Finally, the time is at hand. We have Winston Duke on Happy Sag Infused, my podcast at last. Uh, sir, it's good to see you. We haven't really had the in-depth conversation ever, just these silly junkets. So thanks for making the time, man. Absolute pleasure, man. Love it. All right. So, um, yeah, and, I, and I, in some ways, you know, I hate doing the Zoom thing most times, but in, in, in some way, I feel like this levels the playing field. You can't intimidate me by being twice the man, literally. The hey, man, I, it's never my intention. It's never <laughs> my intention. I'm always just being nice. God made him this way. He, he can't, he can't <laughs> help it. <laughs> well, come no. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, congratulations on all your success, man. Well-deserved. It's been a busy few years. And um, let's just dive right in because, like, you know, obviously we've talked um, through the Black Panther and Avengers stuff and, and, and us, of course, but now we're at an interesting point for you, like an exciting point in that nine days, I feel like, so those first things, like, I mean, huge opportunity, Marvel, of course, dream of a lifetime. Jordan Peele calls, you're like, what idiot, what moron would ever say no to that? That's just the, the, the no-brainer. Yeah. But not but nine days, I feel like starts to define what you're about, what what yeah. kind of film you want to select. Does is that fair to say? Is that this kind of indicates yeah. a little bit where you're where you're at? Yeah, well, I was I was deeply in that space, like after Black Panther, where I'm turning a lot of things down because I'm saying, how do I want to be defined? And in uh, an industry where 
they love short, quick decisions. They love having easy decisions. They say, oh, you do that well, you're going to do that a lot. You know, right, right. Um, they like to pigeonhole and it's sometimes like unintentional. It's just ease, you know, um, it's an industry that is about a lot of returns. So as much as things are. Yeah, you you want to minimize uh, risk as much as possible. Yeah, you want to minimize risk as much as possible. And it's all about getting the return, even on more artistic things. Sometimes they're weighing the return as, is it going to be something that is more prestigious? Is it going to be awards? Is that going to be our return? Or is it going to be something that's commercial? Right. And if they know you're really good at one thing in particular, they're going to, they're going to put you in that space. But for me, I crave longevity. So I knew that I wanted to just challenge that system for what it is. I know what I'm good at and I can always do that. And I'm attached to a franchise where I'll be doing that a good amount. So I knew I had that and I wanted to show as much of what I can do outside of that as possible. And nine days was one of those choices where I said, man, there's a lot here. And then what innately comes with my person adds so much to this story, so much to this discussion. And whether uh, Edson Oda, the director, intended it or not when he was writing it, my presence gives so much more to this story. So a white male could have played the role of Will because, you know, Will as a character is is essentially um, very raceless or genderless even, you know, other than the fact that you know, he's called he, you know, he identifies as a man, but otherwise there's, he's not attached to any of the characters sexually. He doesn't have any relationships other than, you know, platonic ones. And, and you might even, you might not call what he has with Keo a friendship, but you know, Keo most likely would. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there's nothing that really defines him as any kind of a traditional male figure other than how he is portrayed by whoever does it. And I said, this is deeply surrounding the topic of, you know, mental health. It, it surrounds happiness, internal life. It's talking about what the meaning of life. And you really never see black bodies, especially black male bodies that are usually used most like mostly for their physicality so right you know it, it, it is i mean and i appreciate i always appreciate a big swing of a movie and this one mm-hmm. really like it challenges an audience like i mean yeah. i saw this the first time mm-hmm. at sundance a year and oh, a half wow. ago yeah. and like nobody knew what they were getting into and like the first like 20 minutes you're still like what what world have i just been dropped yeah. into yeah. And, I, and i and i love that as an audience member and i'm curious for you when this comes to you do you know what you're getting into before you read the script or are you like us? Like what's, what's next? Where are we going? Most of the scripts, most of the scripts that come to me, um, I'm pretty much going into it dry and I prefer it that way. And uh, I say this a lot. I read as both an actor and as an audience member, because, you know, first and foremost, I'm just a movie lover. I'm a storytelling lover. Like I just love a good story. You know, that's the thing that I used to do as a kid. Like my sister used to read me books. I didn't like reading the books myself. I just always bring the book and my sister would read me the book and I'd be like, stop there, go over that part again. So I love things as a viewer. Right. Um, And in a industry again, that's dominated by pre-existing IP at this time. 
you know, there's a lot of things that's really coming out that's it's already got a big fan base. We're having that conversation just now about, you know, mitigating risk. If yeah. something already has a big fan base, it's already known, it's people are used to it. They're, they know what to expect. It's very, you know, you're not really challenging anything, you know? Yeah. And when you have something like this with nine days, that is a completely original concept, movies like that are not being made as much anymore. Yeah. So that's something that also just stands out is that it's the type of movie that made me want to get into movies as a kid. When Can I watched. Talk? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to get into that because I've been spending a since I've done the podcast started it seven years ago, it's always about sort of how we were all raised and what kind of movies we grew up on. As you know, I asked you for a comfort movie. I've been asking folks for comfort movies in the last year, especially in this year when we needed a comfort. Um, Before we get to your movie, don't reveal it yet because it's a good reveal. Um, Just talk to me about how you were raised in the arts or not. Like, was that a part of your life from your family? What were you into? Give me a snapshot of who you were as a kid. I wasn't raised explicitly in the arts. I was raised, I would say, around incredibly creative people and life being art as it is. Like I was really connected in that way. So I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago until I was about 10. And those were the most formative years that I think really started manifesting in my teens to adulthood. So in the Caribbean, it's life is art the way people say things that everyone uses idioms every single day all day you know my mother i grew up hearing her say i don't hold water in my mouth right mm-hmm. which means she doesn't keep her mouth closed right if she had more water in her mouth because she talks so much <laughs> she keeps it real so much all the water would fall out i love it right <laughs> and already that's storytelling Right. That's an interesting way to say something that you could say directly, yes. which is like, I don't shut up. You can't sh- you can't shut me down. But instead, she'll say, I don't hold water in my mouth, you know. Yeah, right? it's poetry. It's evocative. Yeah, poetry. It tells a story. Yeah. So coming from the Caribbean, I was literally exposed to poetry. And that's one of the super uh, superpowers of, of coming from, you know, uh, immigrant communities is that you have all these cultural norms that, you know, when you come into cultures like the, like the American dominant culture, where you're expected to jump into the melting pot and lose all that and become American, sometimes you lose sight of that. But that was my life. My life was storytelling. My life was very verbose. My life was filled with like super colorful character. And that was art. That was performance. And now looking back, I can see that so clearly, like everything, you know, my neighbors would get into fights and, you know, it was very like performative, right? They would never attack each other, but someone would pull out a machete and like start waving it around and like start scraping it on the ground being like, come over here. If you come, you're done today. You're done today. I swear to God. And he'll like draw a line being like, if you cross this line. (laughs) Right. <laughs> if you cross this line, I swear I will slit your throat. And they would talk like that. And that was a regular argument. Right. That's so <laughs> that's how people argue. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? As long and as they don't follow through, I suppose it's all good. Wow. I mean, no one went to jail. <sighs> but that's the kind of that's drama. That's yeah. hyper. You know, that's that's that's, you know, what do you call that's melodrama? Yes. 
Yeah. That's, you know, that's a world where melodrama is real. I come from a world where magical realism was every single thing, right? I was told because I grew up on the beach yeah. and my uncles would tell me if the ocean ever spoke to me, don't go in. If the ocean ever spoke to you, don't go in. If the ocean ever spoke to you, don't listen and definitely don't go in. I'd hear stories of a woman who was who was taken by um, mermaids, like she just went, she just disappeared. Her husband died and she would talk to the ocean every day yeah. and they just found her slippers one day and she knew she was never seen again. And she was always talking about these beautiful women that she would see by the ocean. And like, she would go and talk to them and she would hear voices and talk to them in the ocean. And everyone was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She sees mermaids. She sees mermaids. She disappeared. And that was the story. That's magical realism. Is it happening or is it yeah. not? Is it real? Is it not? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, you, were, you, you were destined for this. The stuff on the screen pales in comparison to the stories you're telling me. <laughs> like, <laughs> a little bit. So it's, it's kind of been my life. That was my yeah. childhood. So once I finally got into movies and I got into movies, once I moved to the United States and I was inside a lot, you know, it was a new country. I had a, a mother that was working most of the time. So she just had to be like, you go home from school. I left food for you. Prepare your food. Occupy yourself, do your homework until I get home. And I'd be watching movies, you know, my VHSs um, or reading comic books. It's really funny. In Brooklyn, there was a cool comic book store um, owned by this Korean family. And, you know, I think their American name was the Winstons. Okay. It was called Amazing. Winstons, uh, Winstons um, comic book store, right? Comic book shop. And Miss Winston would give me free uh, comics. She just, she just liked me. Um, and it was just like, that was my childhood, reading a bunch of comic books yeah. and watching TV and watching a lot of sitcoms and um, reading books. Like, it was just like really cool. You know what I mean? It was that thing. And I got into movies because I just watched so much TV, you know? So so if, if I had predicted like out of a thousand movies, what comfort movie you were going to pick, this would not have made the top 1000, the one you selected. You probably and, wouldn't have seen it. You probably wouldn't have. Uh, I, I, that for me. And you know what? And I, I consider myself a cinephile. I know this movie. I've never seen this movie. You stumped me. And I was going to watch it last night. Winston, this isn't even available on any streaming service. You found a movie <laughs> that's like that, that, that time forgot. I mean, this was a big movie. I remember at the time it was a sleeper. Tell yeah. folks what movie was your comfort movie? My comfort movie is Waking the Divine. And it's one of those movies that I watch it over and over and over. I watch it, I think I've seen it maybe 15 times. And it's one of those movies where if I tell someone to watch it, I'll just say, you know what, forget it. Come over, let's watch it together. Or I'll be like, I'm gonna come over and I'll watch it with you because I enjoy it every single time. And I love it because the characters teach me things that I literally, used for my work today, which is there's no such thing as a small role. Every single character feels as if they're coming from someplace or they're off to someplace else. Right. They're all completely lived in. So no matter if they have three lines or the entire monologue, you will remember the character. Right. I, rem I remember. I mean, again, I, I, I confess I haven't seen the movie, but I remember it's about kind of a small community and a small community. It's a super charming movie about yeah. uh, about 
community, actually. It's a movie about community and what it means to actually live in, in community with a bunch of other people. So what do we leave and what do we have? And it's, it's similar to Nine Days in the sense that it's about small moments and it's the small moments that count. And it's those small moments that actually leave you rich. Money is great, but it's community, it's experience, it's love and it's people that actually make you wealthy. And that's, the, that's really the takeaway and the morality and the moral play around waking that divine. Beautiful, an Irish film. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it once it emerges on one of these streaming services. That and for those that are curious, this came out in '98. It was a sleeper hit. It, it, it made like 50 million dollars. Like nobody was expecting <laughs> it. And it's yeah, like the logline is when a lottery winner dies of shock, his fellow townsfolk attempt to claim the money. But it's as you say, so obviously so much more than that. And uh, and a clear super like, charming. It's exceptionally yeah. funny. Um, it doesn't play by like Hollywood's rules of uh, like beautiful people doing interesting things right so it's these people are beautiful because they're real they're all like stage-based irish actors yep and they live in every single moment and they look like people around you so you're just like it leaves you not staring at their faces and, and escaping into their beauty it just leaves you really following the story and you love it it's paced I, I, really well it's funny it's everything yeah it's I, one of my I, I, I love that you selected it because it is it's unexpected in the best possible way. Um, so you, you, you no, no, I mean, it's truly. So you talked a little bit about childhood. Let's jump ahead a little bit, because I know you went to Yale School of Drama and I've spoken to a couple of your your buddies from back then. I've certainly talked to Lupita a lot. I had Yaya Abdul-Mateen II on, uh, I think, right before the shit hit the fan on the pandemic. And he was telling me uh, happy stories of you helping him move in, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did, did, did you did, did you find like a community, a, a, a friend group, a, a, a new kind of level of camaraderie um, in the arts once you got there? Yeah, I believe I did. And the, the cool thing about Yale School of Drama is they really promote healthy competition, right? And they promote healthy competition in performance. So if you're in a play, you encourage each other to make big, wild, bold choices that are rooted in the given circumstance, right? And when someone does that, it then encourages you to do something even wilder. And then you end up topping each other and it's very interesting. So usually our plays would just be so exciting because all that is happening, that culture is, you know, happening in real time and it's exciting, right? Because every, anything can happen on any night. Someone throws a ball and you better be ready because you have to catch it and throw it back. And the harder <laughs> you throw it, you know what I mean? The harder you throw it, if yeah. the person's ready and willing, it's magic. And it was like nothing else. So that was, that was Yale School of Drama and that was a community. And because you had so much trust at times, the bonding would be so rich, so off, off stage, you know, in private moments, you know, you, you really felt like you were being seen in a different way than sometimes society was willing to see you, you know? Um, well, y Yaya was telling me, like, I mean, he was kind of portraying you as kind of a big man on campus and a kind of a mentor <laughs> to him in some ways. And that, and that like, he, he taught you a bit about, and you've kind of alluded to this already. I mean, physicality is always a huge 
aspect of talking to any actor, but especially someone like you, who's like, I mean, you are larger than life. Like yeah. you walk into a room, <clears throat> you're, you can't take your eyes off of you. Um, but you know, like that, like that's a trade-off, right? Like that, like you know more than anybody, like there are preconceived notions of what this guy is or what he's about, but it seems like you early on knew how to play with that, how to contrast that, how to fight against that or go with it. Can you talk to me a little bit about like sort of like the negotiation with your own, with your own body, with your own physicality and figuring out what to do with what God gave you? Well, that, that story in itself wasn't really filled with a lot of positive memories um, that that's filled with, you know, narratives of survival. Yeah. I've had to essentially learn how to use my body and understand my hyper visibility yeah. um, and how to survive through it. Because if I, I, I learned really young as a young man and I wasn't all, I was never looking for it. It would just be thrusted on me that like everyone's watching you. Yeah. One's watching you because you're tall, because you're, you're, you're big, you're black. And it makes your small movements really visible. If you just touch someone gently, it's like, whoa, he's touching them. If you stand too close, it's like, why is this person? You know what I mean? Not even too close. Because a thing that I learned is that people can feel my presence from maybe six feet away. Right? And I don't really need to do very much at times to be visible. So when you then take that context out of like a fun, happy social space where you all choose to be with each other and you're having fun and you're playful and you're just at the mall and someone's following you around or on the Yale campus, I was bringing some props back to class. We had fencing swords. Yeah, right, because we do a lot of uh, sword and sword work um, and stage stage combat work. So I was bringing swords back to class. I had a backpack. I had two kind of cases full of things. And I just decided, man, the swords, I should just put them on my waist because I can't carry them. And I can't double back like 10 blocks to go to my house on campus i put the sword on them i'm holding these two things i'm wearing a big yale sweatshirt right it says yale sweatshirt i'm carrying a backpack these um kind of like duffel bag briefcase kind of things i don't really remember what they were and i'm just like full of stuff i'm trudging the class whoop, whoop. i get stopped by the police police officer comes out. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you going? You're, you're carrying weapons. you got weapons. Do you know? I said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, um, I'm an actor. I'm in the, I'm in the grad school. Um, you know, I, I, I automatically just start like giving information. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm an actor. I'm in the grad school. Um, I'm just, taking you know this this if they're all props and he's like no you have weapons on you do you know i'm fully within my rights to light you the fuck up do you know that do you know i'm fully within my rights to light you the fuck up and i was like wow i don't i don't even really i don't i don't even know what to say to that i was just like yeah and he was like you 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 god damn he was like he was the victim <laughs> Yeah. How, how dare you yeah god damn it you know you know what you 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 might you just put me in this position you put me in this position and i was like 
I'm sorry that I've put you in a position to potentially murder me. <laughs> right. And that's like one of those moments oh. of like microaggression that like yeah. my size, my hypervisibility, like people hypersexualize my body as well. You know what I mean? So yeah. these are things that I've been very aware of and then have taken them and flipped them. I say, okay, cool. That means that I don't have to do very much for impact, that I can do something small that can have a big impact. And if I really want a bigger impact, I can go for it, right? It's learning the double-edged swords, yeah. so to say. So, a, yeah, I mean, it's a yeah. shitty weight to put on anybody's shoulders. And it makes me sad to hear that. that yeah, that but that's the reality yeah. of a lot of Black men. That's the oh, reality of a lot of Black men, especially in America. And in most spaces of, you know, predominant whiteness um so that was my life and, and it's a situation where you're also hyper visual uh, uh, hyper you're hyper surveilled yeah. but also underestimated so imagine yeah. people always saying seeing you but also not thinking you're very smart right being surprised by you having interesting things to say or having an interesting point of view so for a very long time, it took me a very long time to also find my voice because of all these things. Because, you know, you start internalizing that you might not be so smart until you have the right people in your life to say, no, no, no. What you just said was just, was brilliant. Yeah. This paper you wrote is incredible. And, you know, it took years of like building, building that up. So now that I'm in this position to talk to other people who might look like me or have children who look like me or have family members who might not have had those really positive moments to instill this, I put it out there and I, and I try to reflect that in my work. I want my work to reflect that. I do things like nine days because when I read a script, I go, man, it would be so easy to sell this. <laughs> It'd be so easy to talk about this in the press because it's so good. It's yeah. filled with so many things. And a big part of my job is to create interesting conversation. That's, a, that's my own personal mandate. I love creating interesting conversations. Well, look at the films you've done so far uh, to a man. They, they create conversation. Well, <laughs> audiences may not love them all, but they're going to talk after exactly. every single one of these movies. Exactly. exactly. Um, um, you left me a bit speechless on the, all that amazing stuff, but it's uh, but good on you for telling that those stories because I think it's going to help other people to hear the journey you've been on because you're in a obviously a great rarefied position, but the, the road you've had to, to navigate, it's, it's fascinating and, and heartbreaking in some ways. Um, well, let's talk. So, Pre-Black Panther, um, mm. that's an audition of a lifetime, an opportunity of a lifetime. Was there, was there a close call to something else that you thought would change your life in the years before? Was there an audition that was like, this is the one, this is going to be it? Everything, I, I approached everything as if it would be the one because I thought it all was, every single yeah. audition. I mean, I, I auditioned for Han Solo. That's, that's one that's kind of interesting. I auditioned for Han Solo, had a great audition, didn't for get it. Was it for Orlando or for Orlando? Yeah, 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 yeah. No yeah. kidding. How did it go? Did you feel like it was good? I felt really good about it. I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. You didn't get it. You know, life has that 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 way of of you never know why something didn't work out until the thing that does work out is yeah inevitable, and you go nothing else would have been this, and I'm so happy this worked. 
you well, know, you know, we, we talked earlier about community and like, my gosh, like the community of actors and, and people you got to work with on Black Panther and presumably are working with again on the sequel. It doesn't get any better than that. Coogler uh, is just the, the best out there. Talk to me about when you land that role, who do you call first? Who's the one, who's the person you had to let know that this is, this is it. I made it. That was, so I have, you know, I was under one of Disney's non-disclosures, sure. right? And they're sure. like, we're listening to you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you may think we don't hear, but you we may hear think everything. We don't hear you, but we hear you. Um, so I just told, it was my mother and sister at the time. Yeah. Right? They knew. Um, I, that, I think they were one of the first calls and I, I was in a long relationship at that time when I called her. And I told her that, and that was, that was about it. I wasn't allowed to tell anybody else. I didn't tell any other family members, no cousins, no anything. And it just was this big secret, this big secret for a year, you know, <laughs> until it, it leaked somehow. And it was like Winston Duke cast as M'Baku for Black Panther and et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, wow, you know. Um, did, did, did that character, did your take on it evolve at all? Or was it fully formed from day one? No, the take on it just kept changing and getting better and better. Um, it was well written, but Ryan has a really great ability to be in conversation with community. So right off the bat, he entrusted me, even though this was my first movie ever. He said, yeah. how do you feel about this character? Like, what does he say? And does this feel honest and true to you? And I said, you know, this scene works, this one doesn't feel right. And my audition piece was actually this, these dummy sides. Dummy sides are fake audition right. scripts that they use to keep the role secret. So you don't get to read a script, you just get these fake monologues or fake scenes. And you right. prepare them and you come in. Thematically, maybe a little bit connected to what you're doing. But yeah, not the thematically specifics. connected right. yeah. so that they can kind of get a feel for you in this character function. Right. So they wrote a challenge day scene, right? That was not in the script. And I read the challenge day scene that was in the script. And I said, you know, I feel like the sides that you actually wrote just for the audition actually communicate a lot better what this character is about you know that that character is is deeply communal he's talking about family he sees the macro um politics of his country in a very communal way and i think there's a lot of honor in that and i feel like that actually fits better and he was like why don't we try that this was after i booked the job and we're in rehearsals yeah um and he changed it and that's the mbaku wow. that you kind of have you have that mbaku you know um, and it's Ryan who just, he's always willing to listen. He's always willing to participate. Ultimately he has the choice, the master cut choice, you know what I mean? But yeah, he listened and he, he, his superpower was relying on diversity, you know, blackness isn't a monolith and every single actor comes from some different, I'm part of the Afro-Caribbean diaspora. Letitia and myself. Daniel Kaluuya is part of the British diaspora, you know, coming from yep. Uganda to Britain and England. 
You know, you have Danai Guarira from Zimbabwe. You have yep. um, uh, Lupita from Kenya and Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> that normal combination that everyone knows. That normal <laughs> combination. Um, and, you know, it's relying on that. You have Angela Bassett, um, Forrest Whitaker, who are, you know, coming from the American diaspora. Yeah. yeah. And the superpower behind Black Panther was relying on diversity and relying on diversity within a community, you know, innate diversity within uh, a community that is usually seen as one thing. I think that's the conversation that so many of us really want. It's like, it's not an Asian movie. It's like, there is diversity within Asian Americanhood. There is yeah. diversity within the Latin community. It's not, it's not, you know, yep. it's not Hispanic. It's no. the fact that it's, these are all different countries with their own like particular heritage and, and ways of speech and, uh, and cultures. And it doesn't mean, and, and blackness inside them, whiteness inside them, privilege and oppression inside those same communities. So to say that they're all one thing is a misrepresentation. So it's really great that that's part of, I believe, you know, what was Ryan Coogler's strength is, is understanding nuance. The, the, the challenge for you actors and, and for Ryan on, on this new one was gonna be phenomenal anyway, succeeding mm -hmm. like this cultural phenomenon that was Black Panther. But um, obviously, you know, and my condolences again on the passing of Chadwick, you know, I, I knew him a slight bit and he touched my life like he touched so many and it's just remark it's insane to think he's not around. But can you talk to me a little bit about, is it, it must be bittersweet. It must be a different vibe as you guys embark on this new adventure on Black Panther. Well, you know, Black Panther 2 is just one of those things that I can't really speak about. It's like anything can be something, you know, anything can be um, right. taken as information. Uh, yeah, he is deeply missed. And it's, it is very apparent. You feel it every single day. Yeah. Um, he was a linchpin, you know, he was like something that glued um the entire movie together and you know a movie where the title character is no longer present in in that way is 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 hard yeah it's hard to read it's hard to you know all of it because it's all triggering because it's connected to your own personal loss of a human being yeah yeah, you can't compartmentalize that, like leave that behind. Like, no, he was the center of that movie. So it's, it's the center of the movie, but he was also a big part of like the people who's who he touched their lives. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's not like I don't I don't I know this guy, if anything, after becoming more familiar with him, I know him as an actor second. You know, I know him as a guy. I know him as a friend who I hung out with and like had drinks yeah. with and laughed with and made jokes with and like, you know goofed around with and gave me advice and we'd share ideas. Um, I knew him as someone who was sharing ideas with tons of other people. And, and as, an, as, you know, a guy in love, I knew her. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. Big family. I knew, her. you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. It's, it wasn't something that you know him from just looking at him on screen or far away. And that kind of pain is very hard to separate. 
you know? No, I, I hear you. Um, and, I, and I don't want to minimize it by just talking about the movie, the comic movie, all that, because it's, uh, it's bigger than that. It's more important than that. And I, and I, and again, I. Not mutually exclusive. None of it's mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, his presence is, is felt. His presence is both felt um, as an inspiration um, for us to keep moving forward. And it's yeah. also felt as a loss. Like we have, we've suffered a loss. Um, and we're well, yeah. something special. Well, I, I wish you the best on that t- on that tough, but but you know, worthy endeavor. And again, you're, you're with the right group to make it happen. Um, as we look ahead, so nine days, this challenging piece of work sounds like you're going to do another challenging piece of work, Marcus Darby. That's that's a <laughs> that's an interesting that's that's a, that's yeah. a big one. Was that something that came to you or something you pursued? Um, it was something that came to me, but um, it was like a long time in the works, maybe two years before it yeah. announced, you know, I, the script went through a couple iterations and a lot of conversation about what it would mean. Mm-hmm. And it's still, we're still going through that. And we're doing the thing that I believe a lot of, that a lot of projects nowadays don't do, which is take their time take their time and really lean into process. So, right. And it's going to need it. I feel when there are figures that are so big, leaning into process is really important because that's what's going to really reveal the truth about what we're the type of story we're trying to tell. So it's, it's very exciting. It's been in the works for a long time and it means a lot to get to, bring the life of someone so seminal to, you know, a lot of nuanced movements to life, you know? Well, my my best guess going forward based on, I mean, the small sample size of the work you've contributed on screen so far is it is going to be an eclectic, interesting mix of, uh, I mean, you look at the first three roles, basically four, if you count the two in us, um, basically you're, you're, they couldn't be more different ends of the spectrum. And I appreciate that. They're all different genres. You're clearly, talented and can do anything virtually and it, we're just getting started so that's a thrilling place to be man for, as an audience member uh everybody should check out nine days as i said like i love these big swings of movies high concept thoughtful you're going to talk with your 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 friend or, or lover after this movie and debate what you just saw um but you can't deny the uh the great performances in this and, and as i said the big swings so um winston it's been a pleasure to get to know you better today man and i i, I wish you all the best you too It's always a pleasure to have somebody that I have a, a long, fun history with, and that certainly uh, fits the bill for Mr. Stephen Lang. It's good to see you, man. How you doing? See you. I'm doing well, Josh. Good to see you, too. Uh, congrats, man, on uh, Don't Breathe 2. Uh, you know I always love your work, and I especially love it when you get to be front and center and own the screen as, as slang deserves, damn it. <laughs> Give him these opportunities. Thank you very much. Thank so, so we were just catching up a little bit. Um, Talk to me, first of all, uh, I know you made this in the last crazy year plus, but I did see you in, in, in New York. You were helping the good fight of your daughter. That was, that was very sweet. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the main event. I got to say of the past year was my oldest girl, Lucy Lang, ran for uh, Manhattan District Attorney. And she ran, you know, a, a great race, a, a race full of energy and intelligence and integrity and and uh, and she came up short, but you know that's the way it is. 
but I enjoyed, I, I wanted to do everything I could do to, to, to help with the campaign. And so, so I did that. Uh, yeah, you well. donned the, uh, the sandwich board, went old school, you the streets. Because what else can a father do? I figured I, I walked the streets <laughs> of Manhattan wearing a sandwich board saying, you know, vote for Lucy Lang. And, and, and just incidentally, it got picked up by the New Yorker. And so I saw they, that, yeah. So they did a talk of the town and, and a picture. Now, Lucy Lang, my daughter, is a dyed-in-the-wool New Yorker and a dyed-in-the-wool reader of the New Yorker. Oh, so yeah. on some level, having that particular article and picture done kind of made the whole campaign worth it anyway. <laughs> There's the consolation prize Not right really. there. Well, but, you well, know, <laughs> it's always okay. No, it's good to see. I mean, look, I, I know that um, giving back and public service is, is certainly a part of your family and your and your dad's history. And, and uh, I like to see that it continues in the next generation. So I'm glad you fought the good fight for her. Um, talk to me a little bit about let's talk Don't Breathe, too, because as I said, it's always exciting to see you front and center. Don't Breathe was a, a real breath of fresh air a few years back and really exciting, kind of like nice surprise, like just how well it was done, how effective it was. Were you guys even batting around the idea of this as a potential franchise back then? Was that the hope? Was that the dream or what? No, not, it wasn't, it didn't really occur to me until after the film did the kind of business that it did. Yeah. And, uh, and, and look, I mean, it, it just was the elements of, of, of the personnel working with Fede uh, was a pleasure. You know, he's a fine writer, director, great, great guy to work with. So I had a good time doing the picture, albeit a very dark time, but, you know, but a good time. Yeah. And uh, and and pretty much as soon as the film did well, there was talk of it. And but it really was. Well, sure. Let's do a sequel if you come up with something that, you know, works, that makes sense, that's as good or better than the first one, that's not just a repeat right. of the first one. We don't want to, you know, just recycle the guy. And uh, and and Roto, uh, Fede and Roto, uh, put their heads together and came up with what I thought was a pretty splendid script. It's kind of a reframing a bit, centering now kind of your character as our, our anti-hero protagonist in, in a way. Yeah, I never like to use that term, just as I would never, you know, just as a villain doesn't think of himself as a villain or it's, or it's not useful for an actor to think that way, neither is it particularly useful for me to think of him as a hero, an anti-hero, an anti-villain or any, anything like that. Um, I, I'm just, uh, I think it's limiting to think yeah. that way. I think it sends a weird, I, I do think, I understand that there's some talk and controversy out there right now about the sort of reframing of the blind man. Um, all I would say is uh, see the film before you leap to judgment about, you know, whether he's what you think of him, really. No, I, I didn't. I certainly didn't come out of the, the theater suddenly feeling like this is <laughs> the sweetest man that I should I should uh, want to really have coffee and tea with. <laughs> but talk to me. I mean, did you guys were you involved in kind of the. Uh, the discussion process of the different ways to go? Did they did they have other ideas or did they just come to you with this fully formed uh, this idea. was the script that 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 came to me fully formed. I'd I'd always let my feelings be known about about the about the character, and I think one of the things that I've always felt was that I've I've been as interested in his weakness uh, and his vulnerabilities and his frailties as I have been in his in his strengths. And right. I think that I don't know if they took that to heart because of anything I said, 
but but or maybe it was just obvious in thinking of the character but i do think that that's part of why the second film has the depth uh that it has you know uh, because you start to see, because his own sort of weaknesses become very very apparent and very yeah. important i think well i think it also separates it from like like and now that you're in kind of like quote unquote franchise territory there's a there's a tendency to lump him in with kind of horror icons but there's a much more grounded um, you know, albeit like of the trappings of the genre, all relatively speaking, this is much more grounded than we're talking like the Freddy Kruegers of the world. This is yeah. this is a relatable kind of a character in a bizarre way, as as cra as crazy as that sounds. And you know, I, I there's a different way to go with a sequel where you kind of make him a little bit more uh, of an icon and less uh, less human in a way. But you kind of went the other direction, which I think is a smart way to go. I hope so. I hope we uh, humanizing. Uh, him does not serve necessarily to make you more sympathetic towards right. him at all. We're just trying to, you know, I remember one time seeing, uh, uh, there's a line in a Tennessee Williams play and a, and a nasty character uh, named, the name of the play is Sweet Bird of Youth and, and the lead character at the end, and he's a real cad and a heel and a creep. And at the end, he looks at the audience, looks the audience in the eye, and he says, you know, I don't uh, ask for your, uh, your 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 friendship or appreciation. I just ask for your under. No, I don't even ask for your understanding. I just ask for your recognition. There you go. And I always like that very yeah. much. It's like somebody saying, "I'm here." You know, yep. just just acknowledge the fact that I'm here. And I, and and there's a little bit of that in uh, Norman. You know, I've 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 always felt that if I don't if I don't love my characters, no one will. Right. And if I do, then you know, people are at least going to kind of acknowledge the fact that he he he's 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 human. You know. Does is some of the hard work done because you kind of did the hard work on the first one? Like, do you kind of have to start from scratch or do you kind of like, you know, the toolkit, you know, the, the physicality, the voice, the, 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 the stuff, obviously with the vision. Um, did you find that it was a little bit easier? Maybe that's the wrong word, but you had a head start on the character this time. It's, it's a good question. I sure I had a head start on it. I, and I think what I had, that I didn't have the first time was an inner conviction that I actually could do it. Sure. You know, the first, and, and in a way that's kind of its own limitation. I mean, I'll tell you, not knowing whether you can succeed or something is kind of great sort of fuel. Oh yeah. It's a motivator. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It really keeps you going. <laughs> uh, in this one, I, I felt like, okay, you were, you know, you had a degree of success playing that character and now how can we kind of, build on that and i and so uh i um i had more time to prepare and i worked hard on doing it and obviously the set of challenges in this one are very very different because yeah. it's totally because of the the geography of the space in the first one he's in his world he right. understands he knows his world very very well and that also provided opportunities to really, really sell the power of, of the character and the blindness, because I could yes. really move, you know, like a shark through yeah. territory that I knew. I didn't need to see. Yep. This one is very, very different. I'm in unknown territory a lot of the time. And so you need to, I needed to be more, um, you know, improvisational. 
yeah he needs to be more improvisational in his in his thinking in his dealing with, with the world and he is he's quite intrepid <laughs> in fact. Well, that's one word for it what, what what did the scripts look like for this because like it strikes me watching it like there are extended sequences that don't have much or any dialogue a <laughs> lot true. of just it's, I mean, it's probably like a 65 page script even though it's like a full-length movie i um, go through looking for my line i'm going there's <laughs> <laughs> my line <laughs> finally finally on page 32 he grunts <laughs> that's my big scene yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it, but actually he did talk I, I do talk more in this one than yeah. i did in in the first one but you're absolutely right reading the script in this is is uh, you have to pay very very careful yeah. attention to the stage directions as it were because it's all stage directions you right. know what i mean everything is, is what are the what are the stage directions you dread seeing in a don't breathe script or any script like what as an actor is it like in, you know, interior underwater, and you're like, oh, fuck, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gee, what would it be? I mean, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. It's mostly it has to do with what, what it determines I'm wearing. If it says wearing a three-piece wool suit, standing in the Arizona desert, it's like, no, I don't want to do that, man. I really, <laughs> no. But, so you, you, yeah, no. So, I, yeah, I mean, this is, it can't be, easy work certainly the physicality is intense for something like this the nature of the production is intense but it must have also been we were talking before we started you made this in the crazy year that was and it must have yeah. been in some ways an amazing escape to kind of like focus in on work and you shot this in serbia of all places i had no idea until i read the the notes afterwards um what was yeah. it like to shoot this while the world was kind of falling apart in the last year it was a gift it was yeah. an absolute gift because i'd been we were supposed to be shooting this a year ago this past April right. and and of course two weeks before I was slated to leave it just it ain't happening it shut down and then and and so we and so we lived began to live through the pandemic and then in June in sort of mid to late June I got a message that they were prepared to shoot this start if I would leave in late July we would do it, which meant that we were three months late getting started. When you can and you consider the, the 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 crisis that the world was going through, that's not bad at all. Yeah. And and so we did. We took uh, precautions. I I you know I masked up and and I got on a plane and I flew to Belgrade. And once there, uh, I basically lived between the hotel and the set. Uh, that was kind of that was my world. But you know, Josh, that's totally appropriate and it works very well for this character and who's been living in his own sort of isolation, you know, right. anyway. So we were, I, I just considered myself the luckiest guy on the planet because nobody was working, you yeah. know, I mean, it, the business shut down and yet our film was going and not only was it going, it was a very successful shoot and in its own way, it was a very enjoyable shoot strange to say that with something like this but so much of making a film like this is staging the violence in a orchestrating it in in an artful way and yeah. in a cinematic way and in a safe way you know getting it right and when you do that that just feels good yeah you know, you know? and so there, there's there's a lot of that so there's a lot of gratification you get from doing scenes scenes uh, properly 
So the, the biggest leap, I guess, like for any like budding potential series of films is the sequels, the second one. So now you've done that. If you make two, you might as well make seven, right, Stephen? Like, I mean, it's like, it's like now you're just in sequel territory. Like as long as there's a good idea, let's keep going. Does it, does it feel like there are enough different scenarios potentially for this character or are you no, wary of that kind of talk? I could never say, no, I would not say so. I mean, seven is... Uh, I could do six, Josh. But not <laughs> okay, I, don't, let's I, think, you've, yeah, I think you've yeah. gone way too far. No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, the only thing I would say about it is that there's an that characters have have. I love arcs of characters. I love playing the arc of a character. It's one of the great advantages of working in television, of course, is that you really do have an opportunity over a long period of time to build a character in increments, you know? A film can be very, very, very different in a way. Well, in this one, I mean, certainly in the first film, the character started out as sort of this, this block of granite, as it were, and, and I enjoyed sort of chipping away at it, you know, forming something that's got some dimension. And in the second one, it certainly affords us an opportunity to do that even more so, and uh, and and I would be always happy to. I, I I don't mind working this character till he's done. Right. You know what I mean? Whatever that that may be. Yeah. So it's not so much a question of sequels or anything like that as it is to me. I like a really good character, and you know, I like advocating for it. And as long as I continue to enjoy doing that, okay, I'm open to it. So it took about about five years, even with a pandemic, to get the sequel to this one. This is one lesson that our buddy James Cameron might want to take notes on, because as you well know, I mean, I'm in, I'm in shock about this in a way. No, I am and I'm not, because if you look at his track record, he, he doesn't rush into things. But I remember, like to go down memory road for a second, this is where we all met, right, on Avatar some, what, 13 years ago now, or 12 years ago, I guess. Um, and I remember talking to Jim many times and he seemed to have like so many stories ready and he's like, I'm gonna get right back into it. Are you kind of shocked? Like, was it, has it been frustrating in some ways as an actor that it's been so long, it's taken this long. And yes, albeit we're, the finish line is in sight, we're actually gonna see stuff in a year. But what's it been like for you as an actor knowing these are coming, but just having it get, get it pushed down the road a little bit at a time? It's, that's kind of, a, that's a good question. And, that, and it's probably, uh... I, I have to search for an answer because my because I can't quite remember. I mean, it's become a condition. Living with Avatar has become part of my my life in a way. In a way, you know, it's like you know, it's like waiting for the Messiah. You know? <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be you know blasphemous or anything like that. It it's like your your the condition of your life actually becomes kind of waiting for it to happen. Now, I do recall in, when we started shooting the sequels, and I think that was in 2017, I want to say, maybe, I think 2017. That first day of shooting was incredible. I, yeah. I could not believe it that we were doing. Now, having shot the film, I know the film is going to come out. You know what I mean? <laughs> but before I'd shot any, anything, it was like, are we really going to do this? Are we really going to do this? And and it just took so long to to get all the pieces aligned for him to feel he had everything 
he 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 want he needed to control as much as he possibly could control, knowing full well that things spiral out of control at some right. point, and also factors like pandemics that you had no you had no you know idea were going to happen kind of intervene as well. So all things considered, uh, a year from now we'll probably be getting ready to talk about it, you know, and it's going to be a lot of it's going to be a lot of uh, fun and interesting because it's many, many, many years in the making to me, you know. I feel the way they felt when they built the Panama Canal. <laughs> it took 65 years or something like that. My, my only fear is that I'm walking down the red carpet or a blue carpet in our case, right. and, I look, and I look at my wife and I say, honey, why are we here? No. <laughs> and no. To say, I don't know, it's a movie. <laughs> movie your schmuck oh <laughs> i got a chance to talk briefly with vin diesel the other day who kind of danced around the potential the the avatar his involvement in avatar i just want to see you steven in a scene with vin diesel have you shot anything with vin yet no 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 i i don't know no i, I haven't at all i have i don't know vin and I, I like vin you know he should live and be well and uh and if he ends up doing something in avatar terrific i hope i get to throttle him or something like that you know i mean i don't care what he plays he ain't gonna he ain't gonna beat up on Quaritch, i don't think now that's gonna end up all over the place no no no, 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 no. right <laughs> Has, you know, has, Quaritch, has Quaritch mellowed at all? Has death been, has death mellowed him a little bit? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say so. He's not a, was he never unmellow? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if that's the no, one that he's would come pretty to mind. Fierce. He's pretty, he's, he's, he's pretty fierce. He's pretty committed. He's mission oriented. He's, yeah, he remains very true to his, who he is, I, I'd say, yeah. You yeah. must be excited just to, to be able to talk about it and to like, because we don't, we know next to nothing. We know like there's a lot underwater. We know Kate Winslet got, gets the vetted. We know right, you're right. involved, but we don't know how. Like, right. it's just like, there's such like an embarrassment of riches. Like, have you seen much finished footage or are you like the rest of I haven't. I, I have seen uh, virtually uh, none. Part of it, part of that has to do with, of course, the fact that production is in New Zealand. Right. And I think if I were in New Zealand uh, and close by Weta and close by uh, Jim and everything, sure, I think I'd probably have an opportunity to view some stuff. But yeah. I, I haven't uh, seen it. Uh, I know that we had a long exchange about 10 days ago. And I think he's very, he's feeling very good about the work that he's putting in to get this thing you know, nice. where he wants it. So yeah, it's frustrating. The, the You asked me if it gets frustrating as an actor. The only thing that gets frustrating is really not being able to talk yeah. about it and share it with people. But that just becomes part of your DNA, you deal. know, yeah. you just yeah. dummy up. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then I'll like, see I, this. After this, I'll say to somebody, did I say anything that I shouldn't have said? Did I, <laughs> did I blow anything? Because I, I don't want to. No, the, secret, the secrets remain. You said you got emotional when you finally started shooting again. I'm going to get emotional when I see this whole, this whole gang together again yeah. in London or New York or wherever. And we're actually, it's going to be so surreal. And I can't wait for that moment. So The weird thing, um, too, of course, and this yeah. I can tell you, is that, you know, there are a lot of kids involved. That's, right. that's you yeah. know that. Well, when we started out, these kids all came up to my hip, you know? Now they're all taller than I am. You know, how weird is that? 
That means you're in a big production if they are growing before your eyes. Um, well, we're in the home stretch, at least to Avatar 2, and then it'll be another 10 years before Avatar 5. But we'll, we're going to get there, man. Um, congratulations on Don't Breathe 2. You know, I'm always happy for all your success, and, and you're so talented, and I, and I love it when you get the opportunity to show what you can do in all facets. And certainly, the blind man shows a side of you that is worth reveling in hero or anti-hero, whatever you want to label him. It's a journey worth going on. Uh, congratulations, man. And I, and I look forward to, you know, we always used to run into each other at silly things in New York. And hopefully sure. as things go back to normal, we'll, we'll see each other in person again soon. I hope I'll see you at a silly thing real soon, Josh. Always good talking to you, brother. Thanks. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>